1: Oh, good morning! Sunday morning here on News Radio 930 WBen. It is a, another edition of Hardline. On this May 23rd, we've got a lineup for you today. We are starting with Carl Calabrese right off the bat. Then Dave Leventhal from DC, and at 11 we have Congressman Chris Jacobs and New York gubernatorial candidate. Andrew Giuliani at 11:30, and if you are listening to Randy, yes, we will mostly be talking about his run for governor. But I do have to at the end ask him about his uh, his place in the Trump White House that helped get Big Ten and Pac-12 football to play last season. So we'll end with that. But a stat show. Let's not hold back any further. Starting off, we have political strategist Carl Calabrese joining us. Carl, good morning.
0: Good morning joe
1: now carl we heard the the big news i think nationally this week was that vote uh for the january 6 commission um and the surprising part of that were that 35 republicans voted for this commission
0: that was surprising uh, that that many voted for it i'm I'm not surprised that some would vote for it given the nature of of the republican party Um, i think from a political strategist standpoint The Republicans did the right thing uh, not to go along with this commission, and they will continue to do the right thing in the Senate if uh, Mitch McConnell sticks to his guns. Uh, This was one great big elephant trap that the Democrats wanted to set, and that is to form a commission. It would not have been bipartisan. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is incapable of doing anything bipartisan. It's not in her DNA. put together a a proposal for a commission with co-chairs, one Republican and one Democrat, but she gave all the powers uh, of the important powers to the Democrat co-chair, the powers to pick the staff um, exclusively. That is extremely important in deciding which way a commission will go. Also, uh, she gave that chairman the power uh, to decide what documents and information to to gather and subpoena and what not to gather and subpoena. And that is also a critical step in defining a a true bipartisan commission from one that really is political. This was all about the Democrats hoping the Republicans would step in that elephant trap and take it up and we would have for the next year and a half a constant flow of hearings and leaks and press releases and, and stories about everything other than the republican agenda going into the twenty twenty-two midterm elections and that was their goal is maybe this is their best shot for retaining control of one or both houses of congress is to control the agenda and keep the republicans from talking about the agenda they want to talk about which would be the biden record the economy the world affairs energy all of those things that the republicans really are on the high ground now with um the public in terms of polling data. So, um, you know, it was it was an interesting attempt by the Democrats to set a trap. Uh, I'm glad the Republicans rejected it in the House, and I I believe they will reject it in the Senate.
1: Carl, what do you think someone like Congressman Chris Jacobs, who was supported by President Trump, uh, was a supporter of President Trump? uh, What do you think his mindset was voting in favor of this commission? And as you said, you look at what this commission is. It's not really like the 9-11 Commission. It is politically motivated.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I hear you're, you're going to have the congressman on later, and, and obviously, I know you're going to ask him that question. I can only speculate. Um, I'm sh- I, I, right now, Joe. Every member of Congress is focused on what will the new districts look like in 2022, and they're going to be different. We know that. We don't know exactly what they're going to look like, but they're going to be different. And with New York losing a congressional seat, Chris Jacobs may very well find himself running. In a much different district. It's not going to be, I doubt it's going to be like NY 27, one of the most Republican districts in the state or in the nation for that matter. So he may be looking just to position himself uh, for that next run in what may be a more Democrat friendly, more moderate friendly uh, district. Uh, so you may want to ask him that question but that's the first thing that comes to my mind is in playing the long game in this business that uh, 2022 is going to be a totally different year because of reapportionment and new district lines Uh, so you know that's something that that he can speak to
1: you know and carl i always like to throw a midterm question in there looking at 2022 and the redistricting of new york state could we see a chris jacobs versus brian higgins could it be those two districts coming together
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the possibilities are like a rubric cube, you know, I mean, who knows what machinations the legislature and the governor will go through in and, and, and redrawing districts. We know this, that all parties, Republican or Democrats, seek to use their power of reapportionment to draw the most friendly maps for their party. And that, that's true of both parties. Now that the Democrats control all three branches of state government, they have an incredible ability to do that, even though there is a supposedly bipartisan commission that was established by public referendum a few few years back that supposedly can draw nonpartisan lines uh the the, the act gave the legislature the ability to override that commission and until recently that commission had no funding uh, it was just uh, within the last couple of months that the legislature finally gave them some funding so uh, it, it's going to come down to what the democrat-controlled assembly senate and governor's mansion wants to do and it, you could very easily see a, a situation like that where you have two incumbents of different parties having to face off
1: now you, you mentioned the biden administration and three things i think really uh, in the news when it comes to the biden administration starting with the economy um you still have this unemployment insurance i think in all states until june some states will start backing out um and, you know, the, the president or the Senate, the houses, uh, they're not going to get rid of that. They're not going to move that extension up. And so we continue to see businesses having to either close, shorten their hours. Do you think there comes a time when President Biden puts politics aside and will say, yeah, it's probably time to end this unemployment insurance?
0: Well, no, I don't see that happening. Um, well, let me take that back. It could happen if the numbers continue to come out month after month you know, bad news after more bad news. But I I really think it's gonna be a heavy lift for the Democrats to pull it back. What you're seeing is a number of states controlled by Republican governors simply refusing to take that supplemental money. They're still paying unemployed people uh... state unemployment and requiring them to prove they're looking for a job but they're saying we are not going to pay people more money to sit home than to work and everybody could see this coming as i said only far-left progressive democrats and professors and colleges and universities in the faculty lounge think that if you pay people more money for not working and sitting home uh, that they will they won't take advantage of that that they'll willingly go out and work and make less money uh, people who do this are, are very rational You know, somebody once said the only thing Americans are willing to give up money for is their time, their personal time. In this case, they don't have to give up money for time. They're they're being paid by two levels of government, state and federal. More money than if they go out and get a job. What do you think they're going to do? I mean, it's so elementary. It's amazing we even have this discussion. But, you know, the Democrats made this bed. A lot of people said, you're, you're playing with fire here. You're going to slow the recovery. You're going to slow job creation until these benefits run out. And that's exactly what we're seeing now and we'll continue to see until it ends.
1: The last few weeks, uh, we saw what was a peaceful situation in the Middle East. Uh, not so peaceful. Obviously, a ceasefire has been called. I believe we're in the ceasefire right now. Um, what is the, How is this a result or what from the Biden administration uh, either resulted in this or caused that peace that we had seen for the last few years uh, to disappear?
0: Well, I think you're going to see, you've already seen and you're going to continue to see foreign adversaries test this new president. There was no question Trump uh, had the back of the State of Israel, and everybody knew that, and they acted accordingly. It's not so clear anymore, uh, given that uh, Joe Biden served with uh, Barack Obama, who uh, was certainly not a, a strong friend of the State of Israel. Uh, the, the powers that be in the Middle East are saying, let's, let's test him a little bit and see, is he more like Obama, is, or is he more like Trump? And so you had Hamas, which is backed by Iran, uh, you know, launching these attacks. And I, I believe it was a test to see how Biden would react. I believe you're, the the fact that um, uh, the Russians uh, began to assemble troops on the border of Ukraine in large numbers, I think that was a test. And I think it's only a matter of time before you see the Chinese uh, do some type of test test. Uh, in the South China Sea or around Taiwan or some other countries there. Uh, and so this is going to be a period of testing and probing while foreign governments try to get a read on this new president to how far he will go to back allies, what forces and, and means he will use to, to back those, those verbal uh, signals of support. And uh, they're reading... They're going to take their readings from these actions and go accordingly. But uh, I I think we're in for lots of tests. It'll be very interesting to see how this president responds.
1: And and speaking of foreign affairs, you know, we saw the CDC uh, pull back the mask mandate, which means now President Biden doesn't really have that excuse not to travel. Do you think we are going to see this president, maybe not right away, but in this year, start
0: going to visit foreign leaders? (laughs) Well, he should. He absolutely should. He, he should have ditched the mask immediately upon, upon the announcement. He should have had a press conference and symbolically gone up to the microphone with his mask on, then symbolically taken it off and, and drop it in a waste paper basket and say, it's over folks, if you're vaccinated, you can do what I just did. Uh, but the mixed messaging continues about masks. And uh, I believe it's, a, it's one of the reasons why vaccinations are lagging because many people are saying, wait a minute, you know, if, if I can't go back to normal, as Dr. Fauci told us a year ago, that once we had the vaccine, we could go back to normal, get rid of mass and and begin to enjoy life again. If I can't do that, why, why should I take whatever risk there is in getting a, a new vaccine? So um, I think the messaging from the administration on mass has been, and from the CDC has been very mixed, very confused, very convoluted. Um, and it's, again, it's one of the reasons why we are not farther ahead with the vaccine process than we should, than we are. And there's no,
1: in my opinion, no better imagery of the confusion of the messaging than Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats maskless in the White House at the same time she has a bill on the floor of Congress saying that you have to be masked if you're on the Congress floor.
0: Well, not only that, but she's fining She's financially penalizing, through fines, members, Republican members who are defying her and showing up without a mask. Vaccinated people. Again, nobody has been able to explain to me why I have to wear a mask if I'm vaccinated. Okay, I'm not a danger. People who are not vaccinated may want to continue to wear a mask and social distance and not go to weddings and, and events. But that's their call. They've chosen not to get the vaccine. Um, and that's the, that's the cost of not getting it. You have to continue to um, protect yourself in other ways. But no one's been able to explain to me why I, have to get, why I have to wear a mask for a vaccine that gives me 97% protection against getting it, 97% protection against getting it and passing it on. And if I do, if I'm one of the unlucky 3% who get a, what they call a breakthrough case, nearly 100 percent protection from being hospitalized or dying incredible levels of protection especially compared to the flu vaccine we get every year which isn't anywhere near uh, that percentage of, of effectiveness but we still get it and as i say i don't see people have it in the past uh, wearing masks after they get their their flu vaccine because they think they're protected they're even more so with this vaccine uh, and so you know it's 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 political theater it's it's COVID theater. It's it's you know it's virtue signaling theater, uh, but it's it's really kind of ridiculous. The only thing that rivaled it, Joe, was a couple of weeks ago when uh, Vice President Harris and her husband met on the tarmac at an airport. <laughs> they were both, both both fully masked and they kissed each other through their masks. I mean this, <laughs> I mean I think these people are sleeping together. I mean I I don't know, but they're kissing with their masks on. Absolute theater.
1: Yeah, Kissy with her mask on. And remember, they were some of the first to get the vaccine live on TV. They made a big uh, production on uh, all the networks about it, Uh, but they're still masked up when it's just the two of them. And we saw this locally this week as well, Carl, with the county executive saying that county employees would still have to be masked at the uh, county building and also in public.
0: It's the wrong message. It's totally the wrong message to people who haven't gotten the vaccine, that you can't trust this, it may not work. Um, Again, if you're vaccinated with with the numbers that this vaccine is producing in terms of levels of protection, the message should be take it off, we're done with it.
1: Now, also talking locally, Andrew Cuomo is still in the news. Uh, He made another trip to Buffalo, Carl. And I just want your opinion on this. And maybe I overreacted. Uh, This week, I kind of went on a rant at the end of um, Friday's (laughs) As and Beamer. And I'm I'm sure I overreacted. But this lottery system for people who get the shot in a four-day span, and they compared it to the Ohio lottery system. Here's the difference. The Ohio lottery system is literally a lottery for those who've been vaccinated. The state of New York is just giving you a twenty dollar New York State scratch-off card.
0: <laughs> that, that says everything you need to say about New York, isn't it? Doesn't it? I mean it just it's New York. It's a land, it's the land of the free things. It's
1: it's it's like they saw the Ohio thing and said, that would be a good idea. Does anyone have some uh, extra money? Let's go down to the convenience store and buy a few scratch-off
0: tickets. <laughs> I, what can you say? I mean, you, know, you can't make this stuff up.
1: Now, also, Governor Cuomo was in the news for the uh, – Well, I, I guess it was advising he was getting from his brother on both of his current scandals. And, and Carl, this has always been my, um, my way to approach when people talk CNN. If CNN wants to have commentary at night, why don't they just say – you know we're like Fox News at night we have commentary it seems like the the criticism they get is because they keep on telling you no we're not commentary we're a news network
0: no you're exactly right Uh, when you turn into Fox commentary you you know what you're gonna get you expect you're gonna get a a right-of-center approach um, from those commentators why they continue to to say we're journalists we're nonpartisan journalists everybody knows they're not Um, Chris Cuomo in particular uh, how anybody could continue to watch this guy, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I, let me just say that I'm not surprised he advised his brother. That's what brothers do, but they usually do it in the privacy of a family gathering. No no one would be surprised if in the privacy of a, a family gathering or a private phone call between brothers, one brother doesn't ask the other, what do you think about this? What do you think I should do? But to do it on a conference call with other people in today's day and age when you know things are going to be leaked, uh, then it comes out and they continue to protect him. I mean, I, I They they fired Rick Santorum this week for some speech he gave and some comment he made about Native Americans and and history. They fired him immediately. There was no forgiveness, there was no redemption, there was no second chance. But yet, Chris Cuomo continues on a regular basis to say inaccurate and in some cases just outright dumb things. And he continues to have a show, which by the way, the ratings have hemorrhaged downward uh, in the last number of months.
1: Yeah. It's almost as if CNN needed, uh, Donald Trump more than Donald Trump needed CNN. No question.
0: No question about it.
1: (laughs) Uh, I do want to ask you before we get out of here, the lovely Warren situation in Rochester, it's not really getting that much media here in Western New York, but she is facing a primary this summer and it looks like she's still going to win. to, To me, that is just surprising. And this isn't, she's under investigation, kind of like uh, Governor Cuomo, and now you had this raid at her house and it just seems as if the voters of Rochester uh, will still give her
0: another term. Joe, so right now it uh, looks like if the election were held today she would win. Now it's not and that, that could change, but there's two things about Democrat voters that have always baffled me I'm amazed with. Number one is the, the number of Democrat politicians who could get in serious ethical if not legal trouble and still manage to get reelected or elected. Uh, by democrat voters that that's always baffled me and the other one is the number of democrat voters who leave democrat states like california and new york because of high taxes regulations all, all kind you know all kinds of things that go on in california and new york they leave to go to other states primarily in the south and southwest and then then they continue to vote for the same party and the same policies that forced them out of the state they left. They picked up everything and moved out and they continued to vote that way. Um, this winter, I ran into a couple of people in Florida uh, from other states down there, and we were talking about this. And the one guy was from New York. And uh, I said, listen, I don't know what party you are and, and how you voted in New York, but you know, by the numbers, you're probably a Democrat. And all I have to say is, You've moved down here now. Do not continue to vote the way you did in New York, or you will destroy this state the way that type of voting destroyed New York and California. But yet it continues to happen.
1: And, and we're seeing the result of that, Carl, in states like Carolina. North Carolina was never a red state, and now, I'm sorry, it was never a blue state. And now you're talking nationally a purple state. Yeah. And- Virginia. Virginia it, oh, as well. Virginia is one, you know, I, my family's from the state of Virginia. And, and let me tell you, the fact that Terry McAuliffe might be the governor again in the state of Virginia, uh, I have nothing good to say about that.
0: No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and it's a result of the out migration from blue states uh, with people who would admit they could not live there anymore. It was too expensive. It's too burdensome. It was just too much of a headache. So, I mean, there's nothing more disruptive to a family than to pick up stakes lock, stock, and barrel, and move to a completely different state, different culture, and yet continue to vote for the same type of people with the same type of views. It's just I have yet to figure out all my years in politics, reading politics, studying politics, how that happens. It's a phenomenon. I cannot explain, but it does happen. You know, Carl, that I would love to do an entire show on
1: voters that have moved out of New York or California and kept their voting practices and really just talk to them like, why? Because like you said, these are the reasons people leave New York State. Unless you're talking to Governor Cuomo, they're leaving because of the weather. Uh, but if you talk to people who leave New York State, it's because of all those things. It's because of the taxes. It's just it's too expensive to sure. live
0: here. I saw this firsthand when I was uh, town supervisor in Tonawanda. And we saw over the period of time that I was in town government from the mid 80s to 2000, um, the demographics of Tonawanda change from a very solid Republican town to even and then slightly more Democrat. And it was a result of Democrats leaving the city of Buffalo, coming to the town of Tonawanda for the schools and all the services and low taxes and all those things. And yet they would continue to vote Democrat, except what we did, and I'm hoping the state of Florida has done this on a statewide level. We did it at the townwide level. We tracked those folks. We knew when they moved in through voter registration, we knew where they lived we had a program of outreach where we would send republican volunteers to their homes and and mail mailings to their mailbox reminding them why they left buffalo and what town services they came here to enjoy and that's the fact is that it was an all-Republican town board that's doing it so it worked because we used to get 30% of the Democrat vote for town elections they would vote Democrat for everything else state assembly county legislature Senate assembly president president governor but we got 30% of the Democrat vote and when you when you're able to get 30% of the other parties voting block and keep yours and do well with independence you're not going to lose an election and we never did Uh, so I'm hoping I'm hoping that these states like Virginia, like Florida, like Texas are, are engaged in a program of outreach like that to continually remind people why you left your former state and why you came here and what you have to do to continue enjoying this type of environment and these types of policies. You can't vote the same way you did there and expect a different result here.
1: Carl, always great getting your insight. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining me.
0: Thank you, Joe.
1: Political strategist Carl Calabrese kicking off the show. When we come back, we're talking to business insiders Dave Leventhal. He's in D.C. We'll get a rundown of everything that happened, that January 6th commission that Carl and I talked about. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about members of Congress. And we'll also talk about the Biden administration's policy when it comes to the Middle East. And also uh, the crisis that continues at the southern border. All that and more on Hardline after this. It is Hardline. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medellin is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, you are a fighter. Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Headline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you. We have Congressman Chris Jacobs, New York gubernatorial candidate Andrew Giuliani, all ahead in the next hour. But for this segment, we are talking to Business Insiders Dave Leventhal. Dave, good morning.
2: Hey,
1: Joe. Good to be with you. Now, Dave, let's start. Uh, We just talked to uh, Republican strategist Carl Calabrese about this. Um, Give us the lowdown. Um, This week, the Congress passed a bill to put together a 9-11-like commission for the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Uh, What is this commission and where do we go from here?
2: At its most basic level, Joe, this is a commission that would be a bipartisan investigative commission uh, composed of members of Congress from the Democratic Party, from the Republican Party that would look at all aspects, any aspect of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. That's at least how it's designed right now and how it's drawn up. Now, it passed half of Congress, passed the U.S. House, which is controlled by Democrats. So that is not a surprise. The real action and the real question, and and quite possibly where this is going to get blocked, is going to be on the Senate side. Now, the Senate is not going to act on this probably immediately, and there's some major questions here in Washington as to whether the Democrats, who are uh, unanimously in favor of going forward with this commission, are going to get the requisite 10 members of the Republican Party in the U.S. Senate to come to their side and to vote for this, Because of that little pesky thing called the filibuster, which uh, requires votes like this to get 60 votes for something to move forward as opposed to just the simple majority of 50. So if you're a betting person, Joe, I I might put your money on on this not going forward because – Although Mitt Romney and uh, of Utah and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, two Republican senators who are likely going to vote for this, they, they might just not get uh, you know enough people in their party to uh, to go forward with uh, ultimately creating this commission.
1: Now speaking of the Senate filibuster, and I probably should know this since I am a co-host on a political magazine show every week, um, but. I I do remember other instances where the leader of the Senate was able to do a simple majority vote. Uh, That it would not be something that could happen here?
2: Well, without uh, boring everyone into tears uh, in in Buffalo over Senate parliamentary procedure, the, the basics here is that if you have a financial consideration in your bill, and it's in the U.S. Senate, that the filibuster need not apply in those situations. That's why, for example, with the COVID bill and with other spending priorities, such bills can go forward with just a simple majority vote through a process called reconciliation. That doesn't apply to something such as this, which is not primarily a financial bill. Uh, It's something that is going to create a commission. So by virtue of that, uh, or or at least uh, because of that, you're, you're going to have a different situation where the filibuster very much does apply. Now, there is the question as to whether Democrats are going to use what we like to call here in Washington the nuclear option, which would be get rid of the filibuster altogether, which is something that theoretically they could do and has been done in in sort of more narrow fashions in regards to, uh, for example, people being uh, put up for different positions uh, within the government and having votes in the Senate on them. The Democrats probably don't even within their own party have the votes to do that right now because of, for example, Joe Manchin, a senator from West Virginia, who's very much pro filibuster, even though he's a Democrat, says that the filibuster is a good thing because it, it enhances bipartisanship. It forces the two parties to come together. So uh, it, it doesn't seem like getting rid of the filibuster altogether wholesale is also really in the cards if the Democrats want to, to go in that direction, which I should know, Joe, many do.
1: Now, Dave, back to the uh, the congressional vote or the House of Representatives vote. Uh, you are someone who is, you know, you are, this is your focus, seven days a week. Anytime I'm on Twitter and I need to know what's going on uh, in D.C., I go to your Twitter page. Were you surprised that there were 35 Republicans that voted in favor of the commission?
2: I wasn't. And, and here's why. There are definitely some Republicans who uh, you wouldn't necessarily call anti-Trump Republicans but yet were there at the U.S. Capitol the day it was attacked, were in in the midst of the chaos uh, in in the fury that was taking place, and who very much consider this to be uh, an insurrection uh, against the United States government, against the United States writ large. And regardless of how they feel about Donald Trump, uh, they they are putting Donald Trump aside, even though it's very difficult to extract President Trump from this equation. But the argument that, that they're making, by and large, is that, we need a commission to truly look into how this happened. We need a commission to look into the, uh, the police and law enforcement response to it. We need a commission to look into why the National Guard wasn't able to get there in, in the time frame that it was needed in order to prevent the loss of life and also, uh, of course, the damage that, that was created, and also the, the very real and potential threat uh, to lawmakers and congressional staff hundreds and hundreds of people who uh, it could have been a lot worse. Joe. So that's their argument and why many of them decided to uh, to to put aside Republican Democratic considerations and and just go ahead and vote for this commission. They were, of course, in the minority among Republican members of the U.S. House, but uh, they went ahead and did this anyway, even if uh, it it very swiftly got Donald Trump uh, quite angry that, that they were willing to do this.
1: Now, this might not be in the order of events of the week, but as we're in the House of Representatives, let's stay there for the next two questions and start with something you guys over at Business Insider have been following very closely, and that is the uh, Matt Gates situation uh, back in the news this week.
2: Sure, sure is. <laughs> and The Matt Gates situation is, uh, you know, on one hand, it's isolated to Matt Gates, and this is something that is clearly, and and if you're not familiar with the Matt Gates situation, he is under federal investigation for, uh, for uh, allegedly uh, engaging in sexual trafficking uh, involving a a woman who was under the age of, of 18. Now, there are also uh, parallel investigations going on, not at, uh, through federal law enforcement, but through Congress itself, into a whole variety of other issues of Matt Gaetz's um, things that he's done on uh, the House floor, such as showing people inappropriate pictures, ethics violations, campaign finance violations. So Matt Gaetz is in in a real world of hurt right now, even though he's incredibly defiant, says he hasn't done anything wrong, uh, continues to. Show up uh, in Congress here in Washington, D.C., continues to travel the country. He, he's been on a tour of sorts with Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Republican representative from Georgia, one of the most outspoken members uh, of the Republican Party when it comes to supporting Donald Trump. And uh, in, if you are not a fan of her, uh, many people consider her to be racist and anti Semitic. Uh, definitely says provocative things uh, frequently. Uh, we, in fact, went uh, around her district for the past two weeks. Including to many events with her and have, have a big story on uh, who she is and what she's doing and how she's doing it. And Matt Gates, right now, though, he's very marginalized. He's been largely ostracized by members of his own party, i say nothing of, of Democrats, and he's very much on an island. It could get worse for Matt Gates before it gets better.
1: And when should we hear, because this week some uh, a a friend of his or a, someone that used to work with him uh, said they were going to cooperate with authorities, how soon could we hear anything from those interviews?
2: Yeah, so it, it's a man by the name of Joel Greenberg, who's a close friend and confidant of Matt Gates, uh, who... Uh, we broke the news that he was going to plead guilty to six different charges uh, in return for cooperating with prosecutors uh, or, or investigators who are looking into Matt Gaetz's situation. And uh, that's really bad news for Matt Gates uh, in the sense that uh, this person who has intimate knowledge of what Matt Gates has done uh, behind closed doors and in his personal life is willing to, to work with investigators uh, in their pursuit of uh, potential charges against Matt Gates. It should be noted that Matt Gates has not been charged with any crime at this point. He has not been convicted of anything. Matt Gates is a free man. He is continuing to be a congressman and, and serving in that capacity. But if we're having this conversation in, in a month or, or six months from now, we might be having a very different conversation, Joe. And,
1: and Dave, you mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene. And, and I just want to know other Republican uh, people in Congress, because, you know, I, I think of myself and this is going to come to a shock as a shock to no one. You know, I'm a conservative leaning person. I tend to vote Republican. Uh, but I look at Marjorie Taylor Greene and I think well, that's not the kind of person I want representing uh, my party. It, it, do you you get that from other Republicans in Congress?
2: Yeah, I've talked to plenty of Republicans, including members of Congress and, and staffers and political operatives who they are embarrassed by her and they don't support her and that they would like her to go away. Many of them didn't feel bad at all or make any stink whatsoever when Congress, led by Democrats, uh, stripped her of her committee assignments. So, She's really a, a congresswoman with no legislative power per se. She can introduce legislation, but she doesn't serve on committees where much of the work is done. She, she really has no support, no friends, no allies there, save for a handful of Republicans. And uh, as a result, if you are the constituents of her from her North Georgia district, there's probably very little that you're going to get from her in terms of just – you know, basic congressional services uh, where you need a representative who, who's got some some soft power uh, up on Capitol Hill, which Marjorie Taylor Greene does not. Now, here's what Marjorie Taylor Greene does have. First of all, she has a ton of money. In fact, we wrote a story a couple weeks, a couple days ago. In fact, uh, that analyzed the amount of money she's brought in, and the conclusion that we reach is that she had the best first three months of this year when it comes to fundraising. Of any member of the U.S. House save for one. And, and guess who that was, Joe? It was I'll answer the question. It was Nancy Pelosi, uh, the Speaker of the House, uh, who, who's been in Congress forever and is one of the most successful fundraisers in the history of the U.S. House. So that's remarkable. Here you have a ostracized freshman congresswoman who was able to raise more than $3.2 million during a non-election year right out of the gate. And, and that really speaks to The level of support that she has, at least uh, among people ideologically. And and much of that money was not coming from Georgia, Joe. It was coming from all points, east and west, north and south, all across the country. She's been very successful in particular of spending money to make money, hiring political consultants and and whatnot, fundraiser firms to go and blast emails out and, and otherwise solicit money and Enough people out there who are making those $50, $100 donations, sending it to Marjorie Taylor Greene and making her just a, a real juggernaut when it comes to her ability to raise funds. And I would just simply add that she's in a pretty safe district. She might get a primary challenge, but it's just a very red district. So she could have a lot of surplus money to kind of, you know, in a way, form perhaps a Republican squad, if you will, referring to um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Her group on on the liberal side of the equation here, you you could have Marjorie Taylor Greene kind of leading her own uh, very far-right conservative squad if she went to choose uh, that direction. And Matt Gaetz might actually be one of those people, given that she is touring around with him right now.
1: Looking at the uh, Biden administration, Dave, and the unemployment insurance, this actually might go back to Congress, but looking at the unemployment insurance, has there been any kind of move in D.C.? I wouldn't say to completely get rid of that, but maybe to add uh, some stipulations to try to get people back to work.
2: Quite possible. And you're seeing this debate happen here up on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., you're also seeing this happen uh, through states all across the country for different types of benefits uh, and, and money that was being given to people in the context of the pandemic which given that the pandemic is is receding by by many measures, people are in power are questioning well all right you know, how long do we have to keep going forward with this if the economy is improving the the numbers are going in the right direction both in terms of jobs and in terms of the, the metrics that we use to, to measure COVID spread across the country, do we need to keep um, providing different subsidies? So I think some of the biggest topics that are being discussed here in D.C. is the moratorium uh, on evictions, for example. Landlords are hurting like crazy all across the country. Uh, and, and other different types of financial, um, uh, not incentives necessarily, but uh, financial uh programs that are, are trying to dull the effects of the pandemic are those going to go away in, in a month or two months or, or half a year uh, the ultimate answer likely joe is yes uh, that they will but it's up to debate right now as to how quickly at the federal level the state level and the local level all these things should uh, begin to 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 kind of slide away and and, and go away because As we all well know, if we just keep spending money, 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 money forever and ever and ever, well, it's got to come from somewhere. we got to borrow it. And that's a big issue, too, about the debt uh, that this country is incurring um, because of everything that we've had to do to address the pandemic.
1: Yeah, You know, I I was not good in math or any kind of economy class in high school, uh, but I do know that you eventually have to pay things back. I did. I do remember that much.
2: This is true. Although, if you're the federal government, you, you might not have to pay it back quite as quickly as if uh, you are you or me or even a state or city government. Jeff.
1: Now, Dave, I should have asked this question when you brought up Nancy Pelosi. Um, but you know, we have the midterms coming in 2022. Let's say Democrats keep uh, Congress, which I, I know is, is there's a good chance Republicans take over. Let's just say Democrats uh, re- retain Congress. Is there a chance that with that, Nancy Pelosi would no longer be the Speaker of the House.
2: Uh, a very good chance, and she she's telegraphed that she is going to step away. It seems likely that she's going to keep that promise, although she could change her mind. So we could be looking at a new Democratic leader, and whether Nancy Pelosi is, is going to ultimately stay in Congress and not be a member of the U.S. House or decide to retire. that That's still unknown uh, at this point. All indications are that she's Moving forward, she's raising money, and and she has not signaled that that she is not going to be a member of the U.S. Congress in 2023. But there's definitely some jockeying uh, to to be had in the Democratic Party. And uh, Hakeem Jeffries, representative uh, from New York uh, in the Democratic Party, uh, is a leading potential candidate to become the next Speaker of the House if the Democrats were to retain the U.S. House. But uh, I completely agree with you, Joe. I mean, that's a big if at this point for two reasons. Number one, the margin that the Democrats have in the majority right now in the U.S. House is very slim, only a handful of seats. And also, too, we're going into redistricting season. All across the country, the census numbers are in. State legislatures are going to be redrawing districts, and that is going to be For the 2022 election. And you're going to hear a lot about gerrymandering, both on the Republican and the Democratic side. And a lot of Republican controlled state legislatures are definitely going to try to draw their congressional districts within their state in a way that is going to favor Republicans. But Democrats, I would expect, even though they hem and haw about gerrymandering a lot, Look at a state like – keep an eye on a state like Illinois, for example, where you could have some Democratic gerrymandering going on in a very serious way, too, as Democrats try to draw districts that are going to perhaps uh, dull the blow, the impact uh, that, uh, that Republicans might have on the makeup uh, or, or the favorability of certain districts in, in uh, electing Republicans over Democrats.
1: You know, I think that was an uh, episode of Schoolhouse Rock, the gerrymandering one.
2: Uh, you know, Schoolhouse Rock, uh, you, you really, um, yeah, pretty much everything you learn from that, you, you can just light on fire and, and, and toss into the dustbin of, of history or your childhood memories. Uh, much of it, I, I watched it recently, and <laughs> I, you, you had a laugh because so much of it is not applicable to the way that Washington works in this day and age. Uh, you, you could have a very dystopian uh, Schoolhouse Rock 2.0, uh, you know, I'm just a Bill cartoon. Somebody really wanted to, to get creative.
1: <laughs> hey Dave, last question for you. And It's off of the one you just said with, with gerrymandering. Do, do current congressional seat holders have any play on that? And what I mean is, you look at an Adam uh, Kingsinger from Illinois, a, a Republican but not a Trump Republican. Uh, would, he, would, would Democrats want to save someone like that from gerrymandering? Would that play into how they redistrict the State?
2: Interesting question. I mean, that could factor into it, but Democrats are always going to want, and even the most conservative or moderate Democrat over the most moderate or liberal Republican, even though uh, that's, uh, you know, both uh, sorts are, are very, very hard to come by these days. So it'll be curious to see if, if they try to preserve his district in the way, but. Sometimes you have some really funky things that happen with redistricting where, in fact, two sitting members of Congress in rare circumstances could be put in a district to run against each other. And uh, you you get some weird things that happen, Joe, and I would expect that uh, you're going to have more than just a couple of weird things happen out of this process, which is going to be very protracted, and it's going to take months. And there are going to be legal challenges in certain regards. Uh, There will be a lot of political drama taking place and playing out at the state level across all 50 states for many, many, many months to come as it applies to redistricting.
1: And our next guest, Dave, uh, could be one of those uh, congresspeople that has to run against another sitting congressman with with, uh, Chris Jacobs.
2: Absolutely. And so you you could be having it uh, closer to home than you might think.
1: That's right. Dave, thank you so much for joining me on a Sunday. Really appreciate it.
2: Hey, my pleasure, Joe. Thank you.
1: Senior Washington correspondent at Business Insider Dave Leventhal. If you ever want to know what's going on in D.C., uh, I'm telling you, Dave is tweeting. He's updating his pages every minute of every day, even on the weekends. uh, You will have updated what's going on in D.C. at Dave Leventhal. When we come back, Congressman Chris Jacobs and then New York gubernatorial candidate Andrew Giuliani. All that coming up
2: next on Hardline.